2: Hello, Amory. (laughs) Hello, Ben. Are you carving pumpkins?
3: (laughs) I just had some dried mango. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's not scary. Dried mango's not scary.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Pumpkin's not scary either.
2: That's true. Um, If you want, you can pretend
0: that instead of like
2: mango leather, it was human leather. (laughs) Ooh,
0: (laughs) I take it too far? Especially creepy for a
2: (laughs) vegan to throw out there. I like it. Vegans can
0: eat other vegans. We just don't eat other species. Only
2: for the month of October, which, as it happens, is endless dread month. We've got four stories coming your way. Actually, more than four, I think. We've got, you know, five or six coming your way.
4: A whole bushel of
2: stories. (laughs) (laughs) A bushel of creepy tales for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and we're excited to play them for you. This first one is, you know, it's not terrifying, but it does involve graves. Graves. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Can you even handle it? Dead people.
2: <laughs> Alright, well, enjoy this first installment of Endless Dread, and keep listening. We're gonna get spooky.
1: Testing, one, two, three, testing, testing. Alright, I'm recording.
2: Alright. Alright. I have a question for you. all right all right so it's 8 30 in the morning thursday producer quincy walters and i are saddling up in the trusty endless thread mobile a 2012 toyota rav4 very reliable sensible vehicle
1: and we are heading to a cemetery
2: is it okay if we
1: go to a famous person's grave sure (laughs) (laughs) whose grave I will tell you when we get there. Okay, is it a is it a person f- uh, a recently famous person? Mm, that's a tough question to answer. Is it Samuel Adams?
2: That was a really good guess. It's Samuel Adams. Is it really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well then, that's fine. Um, because my family is related to Samuel Adams. What? Okay. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. (laughs) That was like a magical, how did you do that? I don't know how you did that.
1: I've been on a few tours of Boston and, without fail, they'll point to the Beantown Pub downtown and then to the cemetery across the street, and they always say it's the only place in the world where you can drink an ice-cold Samuel Adams while looking across the street at an ice-cold Samuel Adams. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: that's really, that was pretty good. I like that. I appreciate that as a dad joke.
1: <laughs> but, in retrospect, I Realizing it was kind of insensitive of me to joke about your family member who passed away. What do you mean? Um, the the ice-cold Samuel Adams.
2: Ah, uh, Quincy, it's okay. It's been several generations since my relative Sam Adams. So okay. it's totally fine. Um, <laughs> so we went to downtown Boston to the granary burying grounds, which, you know, granaries and places where you're burying. Dead bodies sounds like a bad combination to me. If we're talking about storing grain, I don't know. And
3: then the board of health in investigation, and they discovered to their honor, the fluids from the bodies were going, why did the drinking
2: water? <laughs> that is a colonial reenactor talking about how in days of yore, fluids from dead bodies were in the drinking water.
1: I mean, you said it. Burying the dead with the food was a choice. Mm. You found mm. a heck of a grave, Ben.
2: <laughs> well, we haven't found it yet exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
1: very old and famous graveyard. John Hancock, Paul Revere, James Otis, Samuel Adams. The night
2: before, for the first time in my life, I went to findagrave.com. It's this website that came about in 1995, OG. Oh, Gosh, what what is that? What is 1995 internet uh, e-bombs world's AIM Chat? What does 1995 internet look like?
1: And basically, Find a Grave is a directory of cemeteries across the world generated pretty much entirely by volunteers. I, you know, was talking to my mom, Mm -hmm. and she was basically, I
2: was like, who from our family might be buried around here? Mm -hmm. And, And she was like, well, there's this guy, you know, Charles McFeeders, but he put an A into our name, so I don't know if like you'll be able to find him. Oh
1: man! And then Ben typed it in with an A, and bada bing,
2: just like that, I put that A in. And on find a grave, I turned it into Macfeeders, uh-huh. and we found him. Oh wow! And we and his wife was buried there too, so I knew Gertrude. Then I typed in great, 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 grand something or other Samuel Adams's name and bada boom, there was information on where the grave is located and several pictures of
1: it. But pictures can only help us out so much. How many podcasters does it take to find a grave?
2: Oh man, stay tuned and you're going to find out. In this episode, we're going to dig into this website that's been around since the infancy of the World Wide Web that no one seems to know about.
1: And I'm going to make the case that findagrave.com should be considered a paragon of early social media. I'm Quincy Walters.
2: I'm Ben Brock Johnson. How is it social media if no one knows about it?
1: Oh well, you're listening to Endless Thread. (laughs) Well, it's an oft-unrecognized platform that predates you, TwitFace or tick Vine or Snap Reel, hey, maybe someone you know is already on it. We're coming to you from WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Today's
2: episode, Find a Grave, Social Media Icon. All right, so Quincy and I are back in Granary Cemetery in downtown Boston looking for Samuel Adams's plot and we are going based off of some pictures from findagrave.com. I think one of these images is from Find a Grave. Okay. It's a real pretty scraggly-looking stone
1: here. There's a brown building directly behind it. Yeah, and the white and the white building, too. Let's just say Granary Cemetery is kind of a mess in some parts. jumbled-up headstones, and most of them are unreadable. Granary and cemetery just... Just don't go together, I guess, Quincy. But cemeteries and the internet, Ben. That's that's a different story. The first and most important fact that qualifies Find a Grave as social media is it's an online platform used by a vast amount of people. Do you think Findagrave.com is a, is a is a form of social media, or?
5: I don't think so.
1: Yeah, well, I know so, and I'm going to prove it. The first and most important fact that qualifies Find a Grave as social media is it's an online platform used by a vast amount of people.
2: Have you ever heard of that website?
3: No, I haven't, but it's interesting, Find a Grave.
1: Yikes, man. Quincy, it's not looking great. Okay, but by the end of this episode, you'll learn about Find a Grave if you're not already familiar with it, and you'll be correctly convinced that it's social media. Um, Excuse me, have you ever heard of findagrave.com? No, okay. All right. (laughs) Okay, all
2: right. Okay, Quincy, it seems like your first contention about it being broadly used is, is falling apart, man. Anyway, if you guessed that it takes two podcasters to find a grave, you'd be right. All right, here it is.
4: There you go. Samuel
2: Adams. Okay, I see a lot of change thrown at the base of this grave. I see a bunch of little rocks. I see a Sam Adams beer cap. That almost seems like it's purposefully like placed. Here lies buried Samuel Adams, signer of the Declaration of Independence, governor of this commonwealth, a leader of men, and an ardent patriot. It's nice to be able to visit a relative. Hmm. All right was a nice moment okay let's go find that guy in the cap back there and see what he's doing
1: so in the span of time it takes two podcasters to find a single grave there's a dude in the back of the cemetery who looks like he's strategically going to multiple graves maybe checking them off of a list there's a guy back there who has like a clipboard i wonder Mm. or a notepad i wonder what, what he's doing from my observations of Find Grave users, there are a lot of people of retirement age, but the guy with the clipboard looks really young. He's kneeling down
2: and taking pictures of headstones. He's got a beige Red Sox cap on, polo shirt tucked into jeans, the kind of guy who sticks out by how much he blends
1: in. Yeah, he's, he's really going to work. He might, he might work here. Or he might be a find-a-graver. I, I couldn't help but notice you kind of like taking pictures and writing things down. Have you heard of findagrave.com? Yeah. Or Do you very use... It. You are? You are. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, awesome. Man, we were psyched to find
2: 22-year-old Jeremy Berry, who, as he said, is very active on findagrave. Even though he's only 22, he could be considered a a find-a-grave
1: veteran and super user. And it's such a coincidence that we found him at this time of day. I mean, what are the odds? His day job is as
2: an archivist for a town in Massachusetts. So that tipped the odds in our favor. But he's been doing find-a-grave longer than he's had that job. And how long have you been doing it?
5: Probably since I was about 10 or 12. Wow.
2: Yeah. You've been doing it for 12 years? Yeah. <laughs> wow.
5: I think part of the fun of it to me is that every time I track down a relative in a cemetery, there's always going to people are buried together and you always find things you don't expect to that help fill in the gaps because they're buried in family plots.
1: Okay, so Jeremy is proof that people do use this platform, but it is worth mentioning that Jeremy isn't just any old find a graver. He was named Volunteer of the Month six months ago.
5: I think the whole thing is just a lot very exciting, but um, I'm biased because I work as an archivist and conservator, so I'm immersed in history all the time, so this is not so far out of my interest.
2: And this is the part in the argument, Quincy, where you back all this up with hard numbers, right? But as I understand it, you've been in a sort of unfruitful back and forth with Find a Grave for almost two months.
1: Yeah, actually, I've been given the runaround by Ancestry.com, that big genealogy site that has those poignant commercials, I guess is how you would define them.
0: Improving everything we do to serve you better, because your family's story has always been our priority.
1: Because they purchased Find a Grave back in 2013. Anyway, everyone mm, around the
2: it's like uh, Facebook buys Instagram, Ancestry buys Find a Grave.
1: Exactly. It, it, hey, it repeats itself. If it quacks like a social media platform. <laughs> anyway, everyone was on vacation. Then somebody was on maternity leave. I spoke to one journalist who said, "Good luck getting those numbers." But Ben. Yes, Quincy? They don't call me Quincy Walters, P.I. podcast investigator for nothing. Take a look at these numbers I was able to squeeze out of them.
2: All right, they've got six to seven million unique visitors a month, Quincy. Not, not too amazing, not too shabby. <laughs> Tens of thousands of unique contributors a month. Okay, okay, which is a lot. Um, not exactly a number though. And you also apparently tried to get people from a Facebook group, uh, to talk to you and then you got kicked out of it. Unless
1: we bring that up, Ben. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, there's a Facebook group that a lot of people troubleshoot things, uh, on with the site. Um, okay. I was initially accepted in the group and, you know, told them my intentions. Mm-hmm. Then I got ignored, then kicked out after I started uh, reaching out to some people. But here are some more numbers. 226 million digital memorials have been created on Find a Grave since it began in 1995. And it's used in 248 countries.
2: Okay, not to interrupt you, Quincy, but does Jeremy even think Find the grave is social media
5: I don't think so because most of um, I think it's a a, I think of it as a digital repository to host all of the images and documentations um, updates on things you know you have a photo perhaps taken in 1991 in 2005 people upload various things and you can see the status of something over time it's a repository for information about the stones
1: Uh, okay. I wasn't expecting Jeremy to make my point for me, but a digital repository that hosts images and updates and statuses and documents and things is like Mm. the most eloquent way to concede that find a grave is social media. I mean, come on, court dismissed, bring in the dancing (laughs) lobsters. I don't think Ben (laughs) understands that reference, but if you're a certain age, you do.
2: I'll take it. Um,
1: and that brings us to my second contention. It has democratic content sharing. Users create a profile. They can upload a profile picture. They can post graves and direct message each other. There's even a forum for it.
2: Okay. All right. This this all sounds promising. Um, you know, updating people's statuses to dead. Uh, I get it. Um <laughs> I guess it's all about how you use the site, though, right? So Jeremy says he uses it because he's really into genealogy and being a historian of sorts for his family. Plus, he says it's a family hobby.
5: It's myself and my mother who both, uh, I'm on the East Coast, she's in California, and we both um, fulfill photo requests for people. I've fulfilled probably about 5,500 photo requests for people
1: Okay, maybe it's a family hobby for him, but this leads to my third point. Find a grave connects people, like Jeremy and his mom and some of his genealogy friends. But it connects people in other ways, right? You heard him say that he fulfills photo requests?
2: Yeah, what does that mean exactly?
1: Okay, so let's say you're trying to find out where exactly a relative is buried. Maybe all you know is that they're buried in a particular state or city. You
3: push a button um, that says, I'd like to see a photo of the headstone, if it's not already there. Uh, An email goes out to all of our contributors that live near that cemetery. And usually within like a day, maybe a week, you'll get an email back saying that photo has been taken and posted to find a grave. And it's one of the most this useful, is most the
1: founder, Jim Tipton, on the Extreme Jeans radio show back in 2013. Extreme Genes, Extreme
0: Genes, Extreme Genes. Oh, every Christmas we visit my Uncle Fred in prison.
2: Wow, that theme music, just wow.
1: Yeah, it is sensory overload in a way. But uh, we managed to get a hold of Jim at the last minute, and it was kind of like a Wizard of Oz moment.
4: Oh, really? Okay, well, you peeled back the curtain, and here I am. Uh, <laughs> in all my disappointing non-glory. Uh, the, uh, well, I, you know, to be honest, I, I don't do... I haven't talked with... I, I used to do, like, radio and just, you know newspapers and just interviews every so often it's just part of running the site and i I don't do it very often anymore so uh it was it's kind of i'm a little rusty i suppose but uh it's 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 kind of nice to 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 talk about it again so
1: so far, so good, Jim. Jim Tipton founded Find a Grave back in the 90s because he's a self-described insomniac who wanted to teach himself HTML. And he said the photo request function is by far his favorite part of it.
3: Because it, it helps people make kind of personal uh, connections. You know, seeing seeing that name etched in stone, it's a lot, uh, has a lot more gravity to, to it than just simply seeing the name typed out on the screen. So um and it works tremendously well. It's got like an 82% uh, overall success rate Wow, uh, I think which is
2: pretty So let's powerful. get back to Super Find a Graver Jeremy. In addition to Jeremy and his mom fulfilling these photo requests to people, Jeremy also creates digital memorials on his own. On Find a Grave, these users called memorial managers often end up as sort of digital caretakers, undertakers, of larger numbers of graves.
5: So that's a really interesting thing. I manage about 100,000 memorials and are just shy of, and um, I have created them in bulk. I go through, I get freedom of information law requests from different towns, get massive lists of the, the, the cemeteries, and some of that I've contributed to find a grave over the years.
2: And he sees this as a service.
1: Yeah, because he thinks it's important that people be remembered. Up next, Jeremy throws shade on some graves in certain states, and a final ruling on whether find a grave is the OG social media site. Location, location, location. That's the incantation of realtors. They say it's the most important thing in real estate. And cemeteries aren't exempt from this. Jeremy says the quality of the cemetery depends on where it is geographically. For instance...
5: In the state of Rhode Island, for example, all the cemeteries are clearly marked with distinct signs. You cross two minutes over into Connecticut, and they're all in people's backyards. There's no signage. The state has no help in locating them. So a lot of the local politics really... Uh, have a lot to do with it. And um, the ones that are in more sparsely populated areas get a lot less help and attention.
1: So he sees Find a Grave as a way to tidily remember someone if their resting place is a little dilapidated.
2: And the site has been around so long that Jeremy finds himself re-uploading new pictures of cemeteries already online because pictures posted a long time ago may be grainy from a film camera or have the heavy pixelation from an old digital camera or someone's thumb in the way.
1: And since he grew up with the internet while also having this old-fashioned hobby, he's the perfect person to do this kind of thing.
5: A lot of the ones I photograph have already been... um, There were already images online, but they're so low resolution that if you zoom in to read the text and what does that say, you can't read a word of it. You just see the outline of the stone.
2: (laughs) Wow, you're really, um, yeah, you're really, I feel like it's a service that you're providing. And it seems like you do it freely, um, but it's interesting too that Ancestry presumably profits off of it.
5: Yeah, it didn't used to be that way, so it's it's a shame. you know, it was the guy who founded it, who lived in Utah in the early 2000s. And um, it's, I, I think it's a great shame that it was bought by Ancestry because in a lot of ways that kind of defeated the purpose. But.
1: Jeremy's not the only Find a Grave user left with a slight sour taste after the acquisition, but Ancestry's purchase could reinforce my first contention that a lot of people use the site. Here's Jim on that genealogy radio show
3: when it came to like actually building out the site, it was still just me. It was just way too big to to, to keep going in that manner. And I realized that um, really the site was falling behind because I basically couldn't keep up. And to try to kind of... Find a solution, I, I realized it had to get bigger. And, and one way to do that was to, to work with Ancestry. Um, they approached.
1: Me. But I mean, also, Ancestry fared well in the deal because Ancestry has acquired a volunteer generated database of millions of graves, which definitely helps with its genealogy side of the business.
2: And the thing is, Find a Grave founder Jim Tipton says it was never intended to be this broadly used thing when it came on the scene in 1995.
3: And I um, put up a web page like some people were doing in those early uh, early days of the internet. And um, uh, I was into visiting famous graves. I went up and visited uh, Al Capone's grave. Which was one of the first famous ones I I visited. And um, and I just had, you know, maybe a hundred listings that I'd kind of gotten from reading biographies and things. Um, there really weren't that many websites, so people were kind of checking out any new website at the time. And people started sending me, like, you got to have Elvis on that list. And they started sending me, oh, you know, Marilyn Monroe needs to be on there. And uh, again, this this was just famous names initially.
2: If you want your social media company to be successful, Quincy, you got to recruit some celebrities to get on there, right?
1: Absolutely. I can tell you're warming up to my theory, Ben. And (laughs) gradually, people started putting their favorite celebrities on the site. Talking to us, Jim said there's just something about being near a famous person's resting place. Then people started putting relatives on the site to memorialize them in what could be a more permanent way than stone which is online, and if you concede that Find a Grave is social media, perhaps it's the most democratic of all. It's a digital space that's for the living as much as it is for the dead.
2: It's a whole online ecosystem with family historians like Jeremy, genealogists, and power-hungry clout chasers.
5: Everyone knows what a memorial collector is within Find a Grave because there's people that just want to have a high count to look like they've done a lot, but really they're just taking on memorials, not updating them, and just having their name on it.
1: A common thing with Find a Grave is that a family member of the deceased will contact a memorial manager, asking them to take the digital grave down for the sake of privacy or for the sake of healing or maybe for the sake of the sanctity of the death of a family member.
2: And to find a grave memorial manager could either take it down, transfer ownership, or ignore the family's wishes entirely and keep it up online.
5: I'm not a memorial collector on there, so if somebody contacts and says it's my, you know, 10th cousin twice removed and they want to work with the memorial and do stuff on it, I'll happily transfer it to them. But a lot of people don't do that, which is unfortunate.
1: Here's a comment from a Find a Grave forum from a user called I Am Better Than You from Chicago. (laughs) I know, right? Already off to a good start. (laughs) As many have said, if you don't want a photo of a loved one's headstone online, do not get one. Do not list. Whoa,
2: like don't don't like don't get a headstone, Quincy. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Wow.
1: I know. Do not list an obituary either. Make it so your family member never existed, so you can go on life trying to never think of them again and wipe them from the annals of existence. Um, or they recommend going into the woods like the Unabomber, and uh, it's what? very, uh, uh, you know, it's very hyperbolic, and like this last their last sentence kind of throws everything out of whack, but they finish up by saying, there are indeed some power-tripping idiots on the site that overzealously guard entries that belong in the hands of others.
2: Wow! It sounds like they're telling on
1: themselves. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Wild.
2: Wild. Wild.
1: But, and no offense, Ben, I know that technically we did search for your ice-cold relative, Samuel Adams. I really did want to hear from a regular person who came to find a grave as a relative, an everyday person. So I found Katie Wallman, a Baltimore-based writer and professor who, back in 2019, got a phone call.
0: It was my sister. She was showing her fiancé at the time where my grandmother was from, like her hometown. And so she Googled her um, and her hometown, and Find a Grave was like the first result. And she was like, what is this?
1: Up until that point, Katie had never heard of Find a Grave. It had info about where her grandmother was born, and there were pictures and details she and her sister didn't know about. She wrote... Quote, my grandmother in death was more popular online than she'd ever been in life.
2: She ended up doing a deep dive into the Find a Grave ecosystem. She wanted to know the likelihood of her getting ownership of her grandmother's digital memorial. She said she encountered good users, people like Jeremy, and there were also the memorial collectors.
0: Definitely in it for the competition, definitely wanting to... Have the most, um, you know, the one user I spoke to who at that time was the top contributor, he had, you know, over three million graves that he had created on Find a Grave. and
1: I don't see how anyone would have time to do that. (laughs) Yeah, me either. I can... I barely have time to tie my shoe. But um, she said some will go to far-flung regions for the sole purpose of documenting a grave that's not on the site yet. Katie talked to a couple of these memorial collectors, and it seems they get swamped as the adage goes, more graves, more problems.
0: He was pretty proud of that. And he also said, you know, because he was the owner of so many, he, got, he gets a lot of requests from people to, you know, change information, to transfer ownership, to link, you can link memorials, you know, if, if they're if they're part of the same family, that type of thing.
1: This all reminds me of, like, Pokemon, Quincy. I know, you gotta catch them all. But uh, luckily, Katie says the person who managed her grandmother's memorial wasn't one of those people. He was more like Jeremy.
0: I would say he really was like just sort of the best example of what a fine a grave user could be. Um, he really seemed committed to just documenting, and um, and he was also really meticulous about going through records and making sure that things were accurate. You know, he would reference like the Social Security Index.
2: That was a couple of years ago. So, how is managing her grandmother's digital memorial been? Has she been a meticulous digital grave manager? No.
0: <laughs> Um, that's a good question. I haven't checked in a long time. I am not a very responsible uh, digital grave caretaker. Um, yeah, I think that I'm still technically the the owner and, and caretaker of her grave.
2: Let's go back to the Granary Cemetery in Boston, where a father-daughter duo is visiting from South Carolina and saying they're not familiar with Find a Grave, but they're interested in it because they're really into family history. The dad says they've traced some of their lineage, but they don't know specifically where people are buried. He didn't want to be in this story, but daughter Jordan Anderson says she's been interested in using a tool like Find a Grave.
0: He's being modest. Like, we have uh, familial ties in Virginia. Like, founding people like Radford University was named after my family, and that's where his family kind of migrated down from uh, to South Carolina from there. So uh-huh. that's kind of us and our background. So that would definitely be cool to look up those folks and yeah. and see where they might be in Virginia. And so, yeah.
1: The landscape of Find a Grave has changed over the years.
3: Of course, the advent of the digital camera um, massively increased the, uh, the hobby. I uh, used to, you know, shoot film and then have to scan it, and it was kind of a painful process. And, uh...
1: But the heart of the site remains the same. As for Find a Grave's founder Jim, he says, even though he doesn't helm the site, he'll always use it.
4: But yeah, I, I, I still, I, I still love to be a cemetery tourist, um, and I kind of enjoy it even more now that I'm not thinking like, you know, oh, there's that stupid bug again. I've got to fix that. It's hanging over my, hanging over my head or whatever. But...
1: Earlier, we heard Jeremy say he doesn't think Find a Grave is a form of social media. He says it's a repository. But what is social media if not a digital repository of ourselves? Mm. Yeah, living online memorials. Oh my God, who writes this stuff?
2: (laughs) You
5: write it, Quincy. You (laughs) write it.
1: Would you want somebody to put you on Find a Grave?
5: Yeah. So long as one of my own relatives managed the memorial.
2: (laughs) Jeremy, like most of us, wants to be remembered. Not necessarily by the masses, but by the people who matter.
1: And hey, maybe someone in Silicon Valley saw Find a grave back in the 90s and thought, huh, that's something the living should have, too. The, and I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts of this are, but in sort of the episode, I try to make the argument that "Find a Grave is probably one of the earliest examples of social media.
4: Um, do you think that's true or Yes? I, I absolutely do.
2: Endless Thread is a production of WBUR in Boston.
1: Today's episode was produced by me, Quincy Walters. And co-hosted by Quincy and me, Ben Brock Johnson. A far from deadly mix by sound designer Matt
2: Reed. The rest of our team is Samata Joshi, Grace Tatter, Dean Russell, Paul Vykus, Amory
1: Severson, and Emily Jankowski. Endless Thread is a show about the blurred lines between a status update and an ice-cold Samuel Adams. If you have an untold
2: history, an unsolved mystery, or a wild story you want us to tell, hit us up, Endless Thread, at WBUR.org.